Good morning. It's wonderful to see everybody. Nice for the, thank you for the good morning. <laughs> Bring greetings on behalf of the Reformed Baptist Church of Riverside uh, and Pastor Robert Elliott, Pastor Christian Polinard, and Pastor David Marari. We have uh, long prayed for you guys and loved your church. It's been a privilege over the many years that I've been able to come up and preach. It's been, I think, two years and a month now since I was last here. Um, a bit of a delay in all the events that have happened the last couple of years, which none of us foresaw coming. Um, but it is a delight to be here. We have, like I said, just uh, long loved Pastor Lynn, and he's been a good friend to my wife and I and our, our children, and, um, and uh, we love his family as well. So it's good to be here. Um, this morning we're going to be in Matthew chapter 11, and uh, we've already read through the entire chapter, which really gives... A nice context for us to, to look at today. Um, and really, at the end there is what we'll be focusing on. Thank you, brother. And um, the famous uh, invitation of Christ. Come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. I've often loved this passage and enjoyed reading it uh, you know, for, for years as a Christian. But in the last couple of years, I read a book uh, by Dane Ortland called Gentle and Lowly, uh, and he really expounds uh, upon this as Spurgeon says, it really reveals the heart of Christ and who he is and what he has come to do. And so it's my hope this morning that we are all the more encouraged with who Christ is and how accessible he is for us, um, because it is, it is so important as a Christian to, to know that. Um, and, and to know that he is an inviting person. Uh, all of us have been invited to various things in our life, right? And when we get there, it's not as great as it turned out to be. You got to check out this new restaurant in town. I hear there's supposed to be a Chipotle coming here soon. Um, you got to go to Chipotle. It's great. And then you get there and like, ah, you know, it's not that great. Uh, a couple weeks ago, I actually preached a sermon to our Spanish ministry, and I said, you got to come to this great restaurant and enjoy these tacos. And they take you, and it's Taco Bell, and you're like, well... It's not quite, especially to a Spanish ministry, they got a good chuckle out of that one. Um, but Christ's invitation is truly the greatest that any human will ever hear. Because when you come to him, he gives you something that no one in the world can ever give you. He takes your burdens. He gives you rest. Uh, and we're going to see here in a moment how that affects every aspect of our lives so as we look at this morning, I just want to look at the call, the nature of the one who is doing the calling, the context in which he has made this call, and then finally, those who are called. Um, so the, the first invitation that we see there, down in uh, verse 28, Jesus says, as I, I just said, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And then he continues and says, take my yoke upon you. And learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest in your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. The call here is, is a very simple invitation. Come, come to me. Uh, in the Greek, it literally means to come close to somebody. There's even an urgency here. It's more like a parent saying, oh, get away from that ledge, come, come. Get, get, get close to me. There's danger over there. Come close to me. And Jesus is very clearly calling openly, as we just read in the context here. 
in fact, we're going to look at a moment here how there was a bit of condemnation for the cities who have rejected him. Uh, and then a, 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 a bit of gratitude to his father that, Lord, I am so thankful that there are still those who you have given to me and who I have revealed myself to who are coming. And then he says very openly, come to me. It's almost as if, if you can hear me, if you see your need, come to me. And, and in some ways, it's a bit baffling, isn't it? Here is the creator of the universe. As John lays out in his prologue in the first chapter there, you know, he who was in the beginning, who was with God, who was God, uh, the one who made all things. Here he is, the God-man, holy and perfect, the second person of the, the Trinity, inviting sinful, fallen creatures to himself. It's in some ways a bit shocking. Why would Jesus invite people like us to him? But the reality is this reveals the heart of who Jesus is. This is why he came. He came to us because we could not come to him on our own. And we see that over and over and over, he makes invitations throughout the gospels. Uh, in fact, I love in Matthew chapter 4, at the beginning, as Jesus is just out beginning his public ministry, Andrew is very curious about who he is and what he's done. He's like, you know, are, are you the, the Messiah? And Jesus is like, come and see. What an invitation. Come along and, and let's see what happens. And we know that Andrew saw great things and he runs and what gets his brother Peter. And you've got to come and see the Messiah is here. And over and over, the, this invitation is happening. Come and see Come to me. And it's, in fact, the, that is the same exact word used uh, in Matthew 4 that Matthew writes in Matthew 11. Jesus, remember when he's teaching in a synagogue, as he talks about that I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will not hunger, and whoever believes in me will never thirst. That's in John chapter 6. Whoever comes to me, you are not going to hunger if you come to me. You're not going to thirst if you come to me. Remember also, I love this one too, especially for the young kids here. Kids, yeah, I'm talking to you. Oh, wait, the pastor's talking to us. Yeah, listen to this. Jesus even invited the children to come to him. In fact, not only invited him, he said, suffer not the children come unto me. Don't stop them from coming unto me. Because remember, all the kids were like, oh, we want to go to Jesus. And the disciples were like, oh, no, this is adult kind of stuff. No, children can come to Jesus. This is how welcoming he is. And I love that even one of the last moments recorded in Scripture of Jesus here on earth, in John 21. Remember, this is after Peter had denied Christ three times. They're out fishing on the Sea of Galilee, kind of gone back to their way of life. Like, I don't know what to do now. And there's Jesus on the shore making them breakfast. And what does Jesus say? Come and have breakfast. Jesus is a welcoming person. And that, that's something for me that has been such a great reminder over the last year or so as I read that book a year ago and was reminded in Scripture who Christ is. Too often we create this distance, this chasm, but the very nature of what he came to do was to be a mediator. And what is that? The go-between, between God and man, the bridge, the, the one who, who spans the gap. And unless he came and was inviting and was accessible, that would just not be possible. 
So his very nature, the, the very nature of the call is a true invitation. But what about him as a person, as, as we've kind of already gotten into here? But Jesus reveals something about himself here in verse 29. He says, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. So there's a great invitation, especially those who are weary, those who are burdened. Oh, okay, there's an invitation. But wait a second, who are you? <laughs> how, can, how can I trust you? I, I, like, I like the invitation. I want to have that. But how can I trust you? Who, who are you? What is your nature? And Jesus reveals to them, it's okay. Come to me. I'm gentle. I'm lowly. I mean, those words are kind of striking. Once again, the creator, the God-man, all power, all authority, high and exalted, right? We sing these songs. They're rightful songs to sing of Jesus. And yet Jesus goes, but I'm gentle and I'm lowly. It's okay to come to me. The word gentle that Jesus uh, uses here is used twice in Matthew. In Matthew 5, it's the same word that he uses for meek in the Beatitudes. Blessed are the meek, gentle, meek. That's kind of the, the idea of the word there, mild. And lowly is actually something that doesn't rise far from the ground. And I, there's one great example here in Ridgecrest that you have to deal with that is just like this. There aren't many tall trees, but there are lowly tumbleweeds, aren't there? They don't rise too hard from the ground. They're lowly. As the wind blows them, they tumble, tumble and tumble in weeds. Ooh, I love the sons of the pioneers. And they just stay low to the ground. That's the idea. The word literally means something that doesn't rise high. Um, and so it's the opposite of proud. That's the metaphor there. Something doesn't isn't risen and high and exalted. It is something of a low degree, something that is a bit, uh, not bit, but is humble. Dale Ortland writes in Gentle and Lowly uh, that the point that Jesus is making here is how accessible he is. For all his resplendent, magnificent glory and dazzling holiness, his supreme uniqueness and otherness, no one in human history has ever been more approachable than Jesus Christ. No prerequisites, no hoops to jump through. And this is exactly what Paul writes about in Philippians chapter two. We love this scripture, especially at Christmas time, because it describes to us his incarnation and the idea that Jesus emptied himself and humbled himself by coming in the form of man. He humbled himself. He approached us. He is approachable. He is gentle and lowly. You know, it's not like somebody trying to get a stray dog in. How come my dog? It's okay. And those dogs just kind of look at you like, I don't know if I can trust you. Once in a while, you, you, you come across one that has been around humans and they eventually warm up to you and, oh, wow, we'll find a great home for you. But some stray dogs have been so just <laughs> stray. <laughs> so out in the world, they're just like, mm-mm. I'm not going to trust you. I've, I've seen what humans can do. I, I, I'm not interested in you. I know your natures. That's the opposite. But Jesus, he came to us. He is approachable. 
Hebrews chapter 4 describes him as the high priest, but what does the author write here? For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. You see, we as those lost sheep hear this shepherd saying, come to me, whatever that whistle might be. Come to me. And as a sheep, we may go, I don't, I don't know. I don't know if I can trust you. But the scriptures say, no, we with confidence can draw near to him because he understands us, because he is gentle and lowly, because he is full of grace. He knows our temptation. He knows our, the, 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 the world's fallenness. He has walked the very earth that we are standing on right now. Now, we're not in Israel, so not exactly, but he's walked planet earth, terraforma. He knows what dust is. He knows what it is to see brokenness around him. He knows what it is to hunger and to thirst, all of those things. And even more, he knows the temptation to sin and yet never once fell into it, never once was scarred by sin. And so when he invites us to come to him, we can trust him. We can draw near to him with confidence. We come to him knowing he is merciful and gracious and forgiving and kind and good. This is part of what makes the good news the good news because the one who shares the good news is good himself. So what about the context of this call? We read some very interesting words here. Brother David read those for us a moment ago about these cities that had rejected Jesus. And then right after that, he still is inviting people to come to him. What is this? What's going on here? Well, Bethesda, Chorazin, and Capernaum, all kind of in the northern Galilee area. Jesus spent a fair amount of time in these areas. And as we read what he said to John, you know, John was in prison and he's kind of like, wait a second, I thought the kingdom was coming. I thought you were part of it. And now I'm in jail. I might die. And I, I, like, are you the one? Like, I just want to make sure. I know you are, but I want to make sure you are. And what does Jesus say to him? John, John, remember what I've done. Remember the leopards that were healed. Remember the blind that can see. Remember the dead that were raised. That comes up a few times. It, it, it must have happened more than just Lazarus because it also was prophesied of in the Old Testament. John, remember the words of truth that I spoke, the good news that I preached to the poor in heart. And so here he is reminding us that there were still, despite all of this, all of these great signs and wonders happening, there were places, entire cities that rejected him. That, that did not repent. They saw all these mighty things in their midst and they were like, we want nothing to do with you. And you might think, how is that even possible? I mean, imagine today if someone was here and they were totally, you know, uh, they had some sort of disability. They've never walked or they're blind. 
And a man named Jesus comes and heals that person. I mean, that would get your attention. It's like the, the man at the pool of Bethesda. That's one of the areas that Jesus is like saying, I can't believe you guys. Like, actually, Jesus can. He understands what's going on. That's a human expression. <laughs> but the, the man at the pool, remember, he waited for years and years and years as supposedly an angel was stirring the waters. The first one there gets healed. And he was so lame, he could never get there. People always were cutting in front of him. Jesus comes and heals that man. The Pharisees saw it. They saw this man who never walked in their, in their lives. Never, he never saw, they never saw him walk. They saw him walk. And that happened over and over and over and over. What kind of hard hearts are we dealing with here? The reality is that it's self-righteousness. That in these cities, they were content to, to just keep living the way they were living. A good religious Jewish life. We don't need you, Jesus. We're good enough on our own. They didn't recognize their burden. They didn't see the weight that they were carrying about them. And it's ironic that the rabbis even at that time referred to the law as a yoke, the yoke of the law. And that wasn't in a negative way because they really believed that if they were good enough, that God would accept them. And so that yoke was a good thing. It kept people in line. It kept people from getting, you know, uh, teenagers from going crazy and adults running off wild. Oh, the yoke is a good thing. But Jesus understands this. He understands this metaphor. And he says in verse 25 that the Father has hidden these things from the wise and the understanding. And he's not really calling these people wise and understanding, is he? He understands that they are foolish and they are without knowledge. But he refers to him, listen, these things have been hidden from those who think they have it together, the self-righteous. In verse 27, Jesus even says, all things have been handed over to me by my father and no one knows the son except the father and no one knows the father except the son and anyone to whom the son reveals himself. The so-called wise of the world those who seem so educated to, to have it all together. The great tragedy is that their sin blinds them. Their sin gives them deaf ears. So they do not see what Jesus is doing. They do not hear what Jesus is saying. They cannot put those things together and comprehend in their mind that, ah, oh, Maybe this is the Messiah that the prophets talked about for centuries upon centuries. It's impossible for them to see their sin offending a holy God because they think they're good enough and smart enough. Now, from time to time, I'm sure they feel terrible. They, they make a mistake. They accidentally do this or they sin against a person but they think that their sacrifices, they think that their works, they think that these things will make up for it. And here they are, unrepentant before Christ, the very Messiah that Isaiah had spoken of. That all the way back to the very beginning of Genesis, the proto-elevate, proto oh my goodness, I'm messing it up. My, my proto-evangelion, sorry, Genesis 3, that there would be one who would come 
And though his heel would be struck by the serpent, the, he would crush the serpent's head. Over and over, this Messiah was prophesied, and yet here they were, rejecting him, not seeing their need for him. So if that's the case, who is Jesus calling? Who's he calling to? If there are only those who can, some will hear and some won't hear. Well, it's very clear in this context that he is not inviting the strong. He's not inviting the ones who have it figured out. He's not calling the so-called self-righteous. No, he is inviting. What does he say? Come unto me, all of you who are weary and heavy laden or burdened with or heavy with your burdens. Matthew Henry writes the Convinced sinner is heavy laden with guilt and terror. And the tempted and afflicted believer has labors and burdens. Christ invites all to come to him for rest to their souls. He alone gives this invitation. Men come to him when feeling their guilt and their misery. And so there are a couple people Jesus is calling the first ones we could say are to those who've not come to him, the unrepentant sinner, and yet the sinner who is perhaps even this morning going, yeah, I, I, I'm heavy. I'm burdened. I feel overwhelmed. I am more and more seeing God as holy, and I'm seeing that I am not. What do I do? What can I do? Jesus wants to take that burden of sin. And guess what? Replace it with rest. And it's not a purchase. You can't come and say, all right, I'll buy this from you, Jesus. No, it's free. It's a free offer. And it's such a strange exchange, isn't it? It, it seems so unfair. Wait a second. I give you my sin. I give you this burden this yoke upon my shoulders that is heavier than I can bear, kind of like Christian and Pilgrim's Progress. The more he goes along, the heavier it becomes. And Jesus says, just give it to me. I want your sin. And we're like, okay. And he takes it. And it's not as if it's just done there. He gives us his rest. Paul will explain this all the more, the, the rest from our so-called righteous works. He gives us his righteousness because Christ came. He kept the law. He bore the yoke. He went to the cross. His record was 10 for 10 with the 10 commandments. It's funny, in baseball, we're batting 300 and we think, oh, that guy's a great ball player. It means he missed seven out of 10 times at bat. Jesus was 10 for 10. And he took that upon himself. Each and every Christian here this morning, he took that burden. Every Christian, the church universal, past, present, future, he took that sin upon him. On that cross, bore physical agony that you and I have never experienced, and the spiritual agony, the separation between him and the Father. It was greater than we'll ever know, even in all of eternity. Eternity plus eternity plus eternity. We're worshiping God. We're enjoying the new creation. And we're like, I still don't understand the depth to which you went, Jesus. And yet, 
the apostle John says he did it until the end. He completed it. He fulfilled it. And so that's what Jesus is saying. Come to me, all you who are weary, heavy laden. I have taken that burden upon myself and I will give you rest. Rest unlike anything you have ever experienced. Those nights when you're laying there in tear, that's how Matthew Henry says, those who are in tear, I don't wanna go to hell. I can't understand it. I, I, I can't figure out life, but I know there's something better and there's Christ, come to me. All of you who haven't even figured it out, just come to me. You don't even get it in order. Come to me. I'll take that burden from you. I will give you rest. And what did we read a moment ago? I'm that bread you're hungering for. I'm that water you were thirsting for. You will never hunger and thirst away that you did before. Because I am eternal. I am eternal rest for you. I did the work that you could not do. And so the invitation to the sinner is, and there were some in Corazon, there were some in Bethesda, there were some in Capernaum that just didn't hear it. And we know, the scripture reveals to us, it takes the Holy Spirit. What does Ephesians 2 go into explaining that our hearts are utterly dead to God? That doesn't mean that we don't make choices. That doesn't mean that we don't live our lives, but we don't have any inclination to truly honor God. But God Ephesians 2.4 says, but God moves to us through grace, through faith. We embrace Christ, realizing I could do nothing. You have done everything. And that's the good news. Sometimes people get too caught up with this. I know younger people, kids, once again, I'm talking to you, you might go, well, I don't know. How do I know if the Father's opened my eyes? How do I know if Jesus is really calling me? Jesus didn't say Jesus said, don't worry about that. Come to me. If you're hearing the words that are coming out of my mouth, if you're hearing them, come. Don't worry about it. Come to me. I will give you rest. I will take your burdens. And he invites them to not only take that yoke of the law upon them, he also gives us this wonderful metaphor that his yoke is easy. Imagine that. Those of us who came to Christ, who know Jesus, we know that burden. And he takes that from us, and then he gives us a yoke that we're like, oh no, here it comes. Legalism, here it comes. I, I got to do all this. I got I to keep it together or else I'm going to lose God's favor. And it's like, oh, wait a second. This is really balanced. And for kid, the, you kids here who don't know what a yoke is, we're not talking about eggs, all right? It's not like Jesus is trying to balance a couple eggs on her shoulder and, wait, what's going on here? No, back in the old days, or actually in many parts of the world still, there, in the agricultural world, you would have a wooden yoke that'd be put around like two cows, two oxen, and it kind of was cut out to go over their neck and it would fit on them. And it was usually a heavy piece of wood because you didn't want these cows breaking it. And they would attach like a plow or a wagon to it and they would pull you along. And so Jesus is using this agricultural metaphor that they all could see. You know, it'd be like, um, I don't know, the best example that we probably have in modern days is like, come to me, all you who have a tractor trailer 
like a Walmart trailer behind you that's full of the heaviest manure you could ever think of. I will take that trailer from you. And my new trailer I'm gonna give you, you won't even notice it. You're not even pulling it because I'm actually, I've got new hydraulics on it. It's all me, I'm doing it. I don't know. <laughs> sometimes metaphors are helpful, sometimes they fail us. The reality is here, we're talking about something very heavy on our, no, our, our necks. And Jesus is going to give us his yoke, which is light. And so in some ways, and I'm not going to go deep into this, but this is where all of a sudden Psalm 19 becomes, oh, how is it that David could write that the law of the Lord is a blessing to his life, that it's like honey on his lips? How can he be talking about the law in such a positive way when all we see as sinners is the condemnation. We look at that Ten Commandments, we, we see a reflection in it, and we go, no, I failed there, I failed there, I failed there. Oh, no, I've never murdered anybody. Oh, wait, Jesus said if you've got heart, uh, hatred in your heart for your brother, that's, it's equal to murder. Oh, man, thought I had that one at least. We see our failing, and yet, how is it that David in Psalm 19 could say that the that it is sweet upon his lips. It's because Jesus has bore that yoke. He kept the commandments for you. And the new yoke he gives us is like, oh, these commandments, they now guide me. They now show me how I live as a Christian. I don't do them to be saved. I don't keep them to keep favor with God. The Holy Spirit guides me with these things. And I catch myself at times bearing false witness. And I catch myself at times coveting my neighbor's house or horse or Walmart trailer. Um, I don't think any of our neighbors have Walmart trailers. But the reality is that Christ gives us an easy yoke. And so, dear sinner this morning, if somebody's visiting today, young children today who've come for years to this church, but you've never come to Jesus or you're not sure where you're at, if you're hearing these words today, if you see, yeah, I am a sinner. I've not killed anybody. I've not cheated on some horrible thing, but yeah, I, I do see it on my sinner. I, I get angry at my brother and sister over nothing. I, I, uh, you know, I have stolen cookies out of the cookie jar. I, I do not honor my parents the way I should. Those are the kind of sins that he's talking about. That's the fallenness that he came to save because one sin separates us from God. And the reality is we were all born into that nature. And so it's the greatest invitation you will ever hear and it's happening right now. I'm not Jesus, but God's word, Christ's words were recorded in this scripture 2,000 years ago, written down for us today and the power of the Holy Spirit, however he works, Jesus describes that in John 3, right? The wind blows here, the wind blows there. Sometimes we don't know where the wind is blowing. Right now, the Holy Spirit may be blowing on your heart. You may be feeling that burden. What do you do? Run to Jesus, right? Rush to Jesus. Don't for a second go, well, I don't know, or what about this? No, go to Jesus, Confess your sin. Give your, confessing your sin is literally saying, yeah, I've got a burden. Take it, please. I can't deal with it. And please give me your rest. Give me your righteousness. 
so that I might know you and I might worship God in truth and in spirit. And so I encourage you today, there are deacons here today that you can talk to. There are parents. There are other Christians here. Talk to somebody today. Don't wait another day because Christ, as openly as he called people, he also openly said, today is the day of salvation. Repent and trust in me. So wrapping up, what about another aspect of the call? To those of us who are Christians, to those of us who have given Christ our burdens, who have experienced his rest, this word written down in Matthew is not just one that we skip over. We don't go, okay, well, that's for sinners. Um, I've done that now. No. The gospel call is to us as Christians every single day. Jesus calls us to come to him, to give us our burdens. Because has anybody here, I'm going to put my hand down because I can't raise it. Has anybody here come to Christ, experienced the joy of salvation, and had a burden-free life? No. Nobody has. In fact, we realize that what we've been called to is far greater of a calling than we have the power to do. We have all the more seen our need for the Holy Spirit to give us uh, the desire to want to live, the desire to want to obey the law, the desire to want to glorify him in all that we do, because naturally we still have this Filthy flesh, right? Oh, wretched man that I am. I know what I want to do. I know what God has done for me. I love Christ. But why did I yell at my wife yesterday? Why did I, you know, tell my boss a half truth when I should have just been honest with him? Oh, wretched man. Jesus is saying, come to me. What is Peter? How does Peter describe it in 1 Peter chapter 5? Cast all your cares upon him because he cares for you. Cast all of your anxieties. Cast all of your burdens upon him. The devil would want you to think, no, you don't have to keep coming to him anymore. He called you once. You're saved. But man, don't burden him with that. <laughs> you know, you, don't, you should have it together by now, dear Christian. You've been walking with Jesus for 10 years and you did that. <laughs> don't even bother going to him. Has he ever lied that in your ear? I've heard those poisonous hisses from that ancient serpent in my ears at times. He doesn't want to have anything to do with you, Troy, right now. No, no, no. You better get it together. No. That is not the truth. The devil is a liar. Of course you don't deserve him. But you were called. You were chosen before the beginning of the world to be his adopted son or daughter. And our Heavenly Father will never forsake you. Christ will never forsake you. The Holy Spirit is calling you. Come to Jesus. Come back to Jesus. You have been saved through grace. You still have this fallen body. Unfortunately, you are going to sin. You are going to make mistakes. But the free gift of God is Jesus Christ. And he is here for us today to come to him, to have him take our daily burdens, to confess our sins to him, as the Apostle John would go on to say in 1 John chapter 1. And he is faithful to forgive us of these sins. Come to Jesus and ask him to renew your spirit. Renew within me a right spirit, O God. 
Ask him to forgive you of your sins. He has promised his yoke is easy and his burden is light. If you are burdened today, perhaps you've taken that yoke of the law back on yourself again. You need to say, Lord, I can't bear this burden. He promises rest for our soul. And this is what a repentant life looks like. That's what Martin Luther said. The very first thesis he wrote, he wasn't even sure if he was a Christian when he looks back on it. But he says, the life of a Christian is the life of repentance, not penitence. That was the old way. That was what the medieval church was teaching. Oh, you got to do penance. You got to make it up to God. No. When Martin Luther actually looked at the original words and realized that, no, it's repentance, not penitence. And when he began to realize that Romans was teaching by faith alone, not by some of my works, some synergistic way, his life changed forever. It is a life of repentance, daily coming back to Christ, daily asking him to take our burdens, daily asking for him to give us rest. And he has promised that he will give that to us. We'll close with these words from our dear brother, Charles Spurgeon. From the first moment of your spiritual life until you are ushered into glory, the language of Christ to you will be, come unto me. Isn't that precious? So precious. Let's pray together. Lord God, we are grateful for your mercy and your grace. Lord, we realize, those of us who are Christians here today realize we do not deserve it, but that is the very nature of grace, undeserved and yet, Lord, you've shown your goodness and your kindness in calling many of us here in this room this morning. It could have been 10 years ago, two years ago, 20 years ago, whenever it was that you called us, Lord. We, we saw our burden. We saw we were sinners. And yet we saw that Christ took that for us. And he gave us rest for all who trusted in him by faith alone. Lord, I pray that for my dear brothers and sisters here, that if they are burdened, Perhaps they're burdened with sin. Perhaps they're burdened with trying to be self-righteous in and of their own selves. Whatever the burden may be, Lord, may we all cast them to you, dear Jesus, because you say, come to me. Lord, may we experience what it is to be rested in Christ. Lord, the great promise at the end there, Isaiah 40, that we would be like those eagles that mount up with wings that are strong and mighty and able to fly, able to bring glory to your name. Lord, in this dark world, may we be light because Christ came and did the mighty work of saving us, of making us new creations, of calling us to live for the glory of God in this world. And Lord, I pray that those who have not come to Christ, they may be an older person, they may be a child, Lord, today, may this be the day of salvation, that they repent of their sins, that they go to Jesus, and that they find eternal rest in him. Lord, you can do these things. We cannot. Lord, you can open eyes. We cannot. You can open ears. We cannot. You can make hearts of stone into hearts of flesh. So, Lord Jesus, do the mighty work in this midst for the glory of your name. And we pray it. In your mighty and wonderful name, amen.